0: We are in Genesis chapter 25, so find your way there. We are looking at a, uh, a very strange beginning of a nation. It is the life of Jacob and Esau. And I've titled the message, Lessons on Life from Jacob and Esau. There's some uh, great life lessons that we can glean from them here. Uh, If you are new with us, uh, this is, we go through the Bible verse by verse, and this is where we left off, and so let me kind of get you up to speed. God had made a covenant with a man named Abraham. That covenant is an everlasting covenant that still stands today. God told Abraham, I am going to make a great nation out of you, and the Messiah is going to come through you. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. This will be your homeland forever. And uh, that is called the Abrahamic covenant. It is a covenant that still applies today. And the nation Israel is God's testimony that God keeps his word. And the Messiah, Jesus, who came to this earth, is God's testimony that he keeps his promises to his people. God kept that promise through Abraham. But Abraham had an interesting journey. Uh, God told him to leave his homeland and go to the promised land. He didn't obey directly. He kind of messed up along the way, as we do when we're trying to learn how to follow God. Uh, eventually, he got there. Uh, but interestingly enough, God called Abraham when he was 75 years old. And Abraham and Sarai were barren. They had no children after all those years of marriage. And at 100 years of age, uh, it, uh, they were already past the age of childbearing, obviously, and God did a supernatural work and gave him a son. The son's name was Isaac. This was the one who the promise was going to come through, the great nation, the Abrahamic covenant. And uh, at 100 years of age, Abraham has the son. Well, Isaac turns out to be a late bloomer. He doesn't get married until he's 40. And when he gets married, oddly enough, he and Rebecca are barren. And we looked at the study of how God picked out a wife for him. And it's a fascinating study of uh, Jesus and the church. And if you missed it, all of our talks are online. Uh, Amazingly prophetic. You might want to go back and listen. But he gets this woman and she's barren. And for 20 years, they can't have children. God's ways are peculiar. A slow start to birthing a nation. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, After 20 years, she finally conceives. And when she conceives, it is a turbulent pregnancy. I'm not talking normal morning sickness and that kind of thing. I'm talking there is World War III going on in her belly. I mean, it is like moving all over, and she is like, what is going on? And she cries out to the Lord, and she says, Lord, if I am in your covenant, if all is well with me, if I am yours, if Isaac is yours, if we are yours, why is this turmoil going on? And God answers her question. We're going to pick it up right there, Genesis chapter 25 in verse 23. And let's pray as we jump into the word. Lord, we come before you right now, opening your Bible and asking, Lord, that you would take us into the throne room of your presence, that we might behold your majesty, that we might learn your ways, that we might take these stories that are millennia old, and that we might see their very purpose, how you divinely inspired every single word for our learning. Lord, help us to learn about you and help us to learn about ourselves, that we might walk with you closer, that we might know you better, and that we might be transformed by the power of your love. For we prayed in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Verse 23 she asked this question, hey, God, what is going on? This is horrible. Uh, and here's God's answer. And the Lord, that's Yahweh, Jehovah, answered and said to her, two nations are in your womb. Well, that explains it. <laughs> she probably said, I thought so. And it feels like World War II. Uh, And she says, two people, God says, two people shall be separated from your body. One people or one nation shall be stronger than the other nation. And look at this. And the older shall serve the younger. That's backwards. Normally, it's the firstborn that has the inheritance, the firstborn that has the birthright. And God says, no, 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 no. This time, the elder will serve the younger. So, when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. Uh, You'll remember there were no ultrasounds in those days. Uh, God told her you're going to have twins. And uh, sure enough, she goes to give birth, and she has twins. Verse 25, And the first came out red, He was like a hairy garment all over. How's that for a description of your brand new baby? Dude looks like a rug. I mean, what the heck, right? He's just this hairy garment all over. He's full of testosterone. And so they call his name Esau. You know what Esau means? Hairy. Really original. Uh, Really a profound name. Uh, They call him Harry. They call him Esau. And afterward, his brother came out. And his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Um, You want to know how turbulent this pregnancy was? Not only were they fighting in the womb for nine months, but even in the birth canal, guess what they were doing? It was a wrestling match, man. And Jacob has his hand on the heel trying to come out first, and Esau beat him, right? Interesting. Uh, God's showing us some very peculiar things here, some things that are profound. Um, uh, uh, And so they named his name, his hands on his heel, and they named his name what? Jacob. Jacob. And Jacob means? Heel catcher. Or more specifically, uh, swindler. Or more specifically, cheater. Interesting names. Harry and cheater here's my two boys, Harry and Cheater. Uh, We're part of God's covenant. Like uh, just amazing, right? Um, And look at this. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter. Now they're adults. Esau is a skillful hunter. A man of the field. That means that he just loved to be out in the field all the time. He was always going out hunting, always doing these long trips. He's just an outdoorsman, right? He's hairy, he's full of testosterone, he's a man's man. He's out hunting, he's just, uh, 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 uh. He, doesn't, he doesn't talk, he just grunts. Uh. Uh, that's Esau. Skillful hunter, man of the field. But Jacob was mild. A mild man, dwelling in tents. Or in other words, loved to stay home. Or in other words, hung out with mom in the kitchen. Or in other words, tied to her apron, apron strings. Uh, verse 28, and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob because she taught him how to cook, right? And, uh, and so here we see some differences Uh, Now, let's look at these things. Isaac was how old when these kids were born? 60. 60. And Abraham had Isaac when he was 100. That means when Abraham, excuse me, when Isaac had his twins, Abraham was 160 years old. And Abraham lived to be 175. That means Abraham had What? 15 years with his grandsons. And what a joy uh, to have grandchildren. Uh, I absolutely love it. And no doubt, they grew up listening to Grandpa Abraham. And no doubt, Grandpa Abraham told them the stories of his God. Boys, let me tell you, I've made some mistakes in my life. And yet God has been merciful to me through it all. God called me when I was at the Ur of Chaldees at 75 years old. He told me to leave my family and my homeland and, and to go to a place that he would show me. And I didn't quite obey properly. I took my father with me. I took my nephew with me. And I didn't even go in the right direction. But you know what? God was faithful to me again and again. And eventually he led me to the promised land. And here's what he did in my life. And uh, I got to the... Uh, You know, he he kept promising this covenant with me and he made this covenant. And this covenant, he told me the Messiah was going to come through me. That his love was set upon me. That he was going to bless those who bless us. us, And he's going to curse those who curse us. And he's going to make us a great nation. And I know it's just us right now. But God's going to make you a great nation, son. And he's going to do a great work in you. And the Messiah is going to come through you. And these are his promises. And here's how I messed up along the way. I lied. I I said uh, grandma was my sister. and, And yet God was faithful through it all. God's faithful hand. And he would tell them about the, the abundance of God's plan for their life and his incredible grace on the journey and how through it all, even when it looked hopeless, I was a hundred years old. Grandma had, we were past the age of childbearing and God did a miracle and you, your dad came along and now God did a miracle in your life and you guys came along. And he would tell them of his great, the greatness of his God. Uh, the twins grew. And they were very different. Esau, a skillful hunter, a man of the field, Jacob, a mild man, uh, you know, living in the tents, loved to cook. These boys couldn't be more different from each other. And I want you to know, I have four children, three boys and a girl, and with my own kids, guess what I learned? They could not be more different from each other. Uh, it's been well said. I've heard this advice, and I'll pass it on. Never take parenting advice from, a pers- from a parents who have one child, <laughs> right? Because they are so different. And what works on one, you'll find out, doesn't work on the other. They're very different. Look at the diversity of God's kids. I marvel at it. Two of my kids are amazingly m- gifted in music. The other two, like me, can't even sing or clap. Which one do you want me to do, sing or clap? I mean, like, I can't do both. <laughs> uh. The other two have so much rhythm; they just—they couldn't do their homework without, you know difference, different kids, uh, so very different. And these two were really different. Esau, just full of testosterone, hairy from birth, a hunter, and outdoorsman, uh, just different, right? And here's what I want you to see. Uh, Jacob uh, was loved by his mom. Esau was loved by his dad huh why well because Esau was so masculine and Jacob was more feminine and what I want you to know is there is a spectrum of masculinity and femininity 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 say that three times real fast uh, and it is broad there's a spectrum Jacob was more feminine than Esau Esau was way more manly than Jacob, but they were both men. Uh, I have a granddaughter named River. She turned seven months yesterday, and she is just as feminine as you can possibly be. Uh, You hold her, and you look at her, and she smiles and just Coys her head, just bashful, right into, and it is the cutest thing ever. You just like, oh my gosh, you're a doll, right? It's just like so cute. Uh, some girls are tomboys. I have a daughter who's very feminine, but she also had a tomboy side in her. Growing up with three brothers, and she loved wearing Power Ranger clothes. I mean, uh, uh, she would wear them every chance she got when she was a little girl. Uh, There is a spectrum of masculinity and femininity, and it is beautiful. There's nothing wrong with a man or a woman having different levels of masculinity and femininity. This is God's design. Jacob and Esau had it, and there's nothing wrong with it. It is God's design. There is a, again, I'll say it, there is a spectrum right? A wide spectrum of masculinity and femininity. But there is not a spectrum on gender. There are only two genders. You are either male or female. That's it. Some men may be more masculine. Some men may be more feminine. You're still a Man, okay, that's just the way it is. And many in society have grown confused with this, so confused that we can no longer discern what a woman is and what a man is. A nation is pretty confused when they can't say what a man and woman is, and uh, that's pretty messed up. I just want to—I just want to clear the confusion. There are two genders: male and female and that's it. And may I say, we have no choice in the matter what gender we are. God decides our gender. It happens before birth. There is no decision in it. You are either born male or female. That's it. Now, if children, like Jacob and Esau, have stronger masculine and feminine qual- qualities, it does not change their gender one ounce. And I want you to know that if you, or if you allow society to teach your kids that they can change their gender, you are lying to them. And you will cause them great harm. I find it so irritating this this social construction that is going on in the world right now i looked up on my phone this week the definition of gender and here's what it says the male sex or female sex especially when considered With reference to social and cultural differences rather than biological ones, or one in a range of other identities that do not correspond to established ideas of male and female. Can I tell you what this is? This is social constructionism. This is not true. And I want you to know something. There is an agenda behind this. Do not believe me? Type, make a text, type in the word pregnant, and then choose the emoji for it. Guess what you will get on your Apple iPhone? A pregnant man emoji. Why? Because there is a social constructionism that is being pushed on us. I want you to know something, I brought something, a little show and tell. Nobody probably knows what this is, we haven't seen one in forever. Do you know what this is? It's a dictionary. This is what they used to look like. This is a Noah Webster dictionary from 1828. I would highly advise you to get one. Because there is social constructionism that going on that is changing the definition of words using the same words but changing the definition. Let me read to you the real definition of gender that has been in our dictionaries for, for millennia, right? Here's what it is. Small print. Gender, a sex, male or female. That's it. (laughs) This is the definition throughout the millennia of time. And a social construct has been pushed on us. A social constructionism has been pushed on us. And I want you to know it is a lie. Uh, Gender is real. The evidence for this is empirical it cannot be argued it is just fact gender is not abstract it is not theoretical it is not whatever you want it to be it is real if you are a woman you have two x chromosomes if you are a man you have x y chromosomes and do you know where you have them in every single cell in your body to which you have billions. And you can have a sex change operation and one thing it cannot do for you is change your sex. Because every cell in your body is either male or female and you don't get to choose. Sorry. Those things belong to God. And why am I bringing this up? Here's why. Because the Jacobs that are born today with more feminine uh, uh, traits on uh, uh, on the spectrum are then encouraged, are then being groomed to be gay or transsexual. And may I tell you something? We are severely damaging people's lives. We are messing people up. And there is an agenda being pushed on us. I just proved it to you. We are changing definitions. We are changing terms. There is a social constructionism being pushed upon us. And it's time for people to stand for truth. That's kind. It's almost embarrassing that we clap for that. It's almost embarrassing that I have to talk about these things. Uh, It is astonishing to me. Uh, May we stand. Uh, I want you to know uh, this agenda, it's being taught. It's being propagated. It's on movies. It's in songs. It's in curriculum. It's being pushed heavy. And the agenda goes something like this. The LGBTQ community, uh, we are born this way, and I want you to know nothing could be further from the truth. This is being pushed so heavily that I know in a room this size with this many people on it and this many people listening online, there are many of you who actually believe you've actually now been swayed, you've actually been deceived that, well, I think maybe they are born that way. Uh. Can I tell you something? You are not born that way, and I will prove it to you. You know what you are born? You're born a sinner, just like I am. You're born a sexual deviant. Everyone is. Everyone here, every single person in this room has had sexual deviant thoughts at times has had sexually deviant desires at times. It's called a sin nature. Welcome to Adam's race. We are born sinners. We are not born homosexual. Uh, Big difference. Everyone has to bring their... Aberrant desires, their sinful desires, not just in sexuality, but all across life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I cannot give in to all my sexual desires and neither can you, no matter what they are. Yours are different than mine. Mine are different than yours, but all of us have to bring them under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And this idea that we are born this way is just uh, a a lie. It's like saying, well, hey, I'm a liar. I was born a liar. Of course you were. Uh, We learned that when you were two years old. But that doesn't mean it's okay to do it. You were born selfish as can be. And we've been working on that your entire life. That doesn't mean it's okay to do it. And just because you were born a selfish liar doesn't mean it's okay to be a selfish liar. Why is your sexuality any different? It all must be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I can prove to you that you weren't born this way. Here's some stats that prove it. the Gallup research poll uh, has shown us the increase in the LGBT community over the last 10 years. It has increased more than 100%. It has more than doubled. Well, how do you explain that? Uh, the LGBT community now, is uh, those who identify as LGBTQ, is now over 7%. Uh, It was uh, just 10 years ago at 3%. And just a little bit before that, it was at 1.5%. Well, how do you explain this exponential increase in people that were born that way? If you were born that way, what would this curve look like? It would look straight across. Because nothing has changed in the last 10 years in the picture of humanity. Even if you believe in evolution, evolution doesn't happen that fast if you believe in it. Uh, so uh, it has nothing to do with that. Well, skeptics would say, those in the LGBT community, well, 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 hey, no, no, no. It's always been that high. The reason that the curve has gone like this is because now it's more socially acceptable. And so people, Who were naturally that way were suppressing it, and now they're free to say, Hey, I'm that way. Okay, that's a super valid argument. I can't argue that. You're absolutely right. Uh, But we have other stats that show that's simply not true. That's simply not true. Look at this next slide. Uh, These are the American adults who identify as LGBTQ uh, in 2021, and notice this look at the increase. Generation Z is now up to almost 16% identifying as LGBTQ, while traditionalists are only 1.3%. Question, if it was just society being more accepted of it, what would we see on this bar graph? We would see it being equal across all ages because now it's acceptable for old people and young people alike. It's not more acceptable for young people than it is old people. It's acceptable the same for all people. And so this bar graph would be the same. So what do we learn? No, it has nothing to do with it being socially acceptable. Well, then what does it have to do do with? Here's what it is. It means that the majority of the LGBTQ community were not born that way, but they have been influenced by a sexually perverse culture. This is why Generation Z has exponentially more increased than these older generations because they were exposed to it, this perversion, at a young age and that's all they know. I had my first counseling appointment recently with a woman who was uh, in a same-sex relationship and she did not even know it was sin. That is how pervasive, how accepted it is. Now, if it was accepted across in, in, in uh, society that well, well, then all these, all these ages would be the same. All this to say, uh, you are not born that way. You are being manufactured by the sexual deviance of society. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what your sexual uh, struggles are. All of us have aberrant sexual ideas. I've been married now for 36 years. I've had total fidelity. I've never even held another woman's hand. But don't think I'm a saint. That's taken some work, man. I've had to die to who I am. And my wife has had to die to who she is so that we can walk in God's ways. And we bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, like Corinthians 10 tells us to, right? And so I don't involve myself with those things, but I want you to know, any of you, all of you, all of us, if we start bathing ourselves in sexual perversion, it will affect our views on our own sexuality. And this proves it. So may we be wise. Uh, I want to leave this for now, but I want you to hold on for the truth. Why am I sharing all this with you? Because the world is under the sway of delusion and deception. And we need to stand for truth. Jesus called you to be salt and light. Get out there, man. Be salt and light. And if you have children who are more feminine, hey, there is a wonderful spectrum of masculinity and femininity. Great. Embrace it. But there are only two genders, and you can't change it. And let's quit lying to our kids, and let's quit cutting our kids into pieces for crying out loud and letting 12 year olds decide if they should have a hysterectomy. Crazy. Crazy. Uh, I need to stop, or I'm never going to get off that subject. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want you to know I'm not doing this for any other reason then I care for those children. Then I care for the lives that are being destroyed by these things. And so may we be wise and may we walk in it. Now, Esau was a man's man. And because he was a man's man, he liked to go hunting with dad. Dad taught him how to hunt. And I imagine, this is speculation, but it's probably right on. Uh, Esau, excuse me, Isaac would go, boys, want to go hunting today? And Esau would go, yeah. And Jacob would go, nah. I'd rather bake muffins with mom. <laughs> I'm not picking on that. I just said, we can embrace the spectrum. It's wonderful. By the way, Jacob goes on to become an amazing businessman, right? And, uh, and, a, and a well-adjusted, healthy life. Nothing wrong with that. But it does have some problems. Here's the problem. Uh, For a dad, well, Isaac loved Esau. And for a mom, well, Rebecca loved Jacob. And I want you to know this is damaging to a child this is not good. This creates family conflict and heartache. And some of this tension that we're going to read in this story today came uh, from these things. And I want you to know we need to avoid parental favoritism. It is not good for our kids. It is not good. Uh, and here's where it comes from. Where does parental favoritism come from? Well, it comes from our sin nature. Our sin nature tempts us as parents to get our identity from our kids. So mom has a really pretty daughter, and mom stands a little taller and walks a little prouder as she gets her what? Identity from her daughter. And I've seen moms of high schoolers, beautiful young high school girls, And the mom is just boasting how pretty her daughter is. And she's bragging, oh, she's got college boys calling her, and you're bragging? You ought to be shooting those creeps. What kind of college guy calls a high schooler? That's a problem, man. They need a parent to stop that nonsense. Not to boast in it. Are you kidding me? What is wrong? And men, their son is an athlete. And they go to the baseball game. And that's my boy, varsity baseball. And he just hits one over the fence. And dad's there. Ha, 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 ha. Can I tell you something? That is your sin nature. And we need to put that to death. We are not to get our identity from our kids. There are moms getting their identity from little girls. Look at this picture I want to show you. This is a five to seven-year-old beauty pageant. And there's mom. Let me ask you this. Who is that for? That ain't for the kid. You look at Joan Bonet Ramsey or however you say her name, that wasn't for her. Who is that for? And can I tell you something? That is messed up. Let's pull that off the screens. Avoid <laughs> parental favoritism, man. It is messed up. And getting our identity from a child is dysfunctional and damaging. And I don't care if you do it in sports, or if you do it in looks of a girl, or if you do it in whatever, it will put a heavy burden on a child that they are not prepared to carry. Your child cannot carry your identity. It is too heavy. It is not meant for them. You are meant to protect them and to build them, and you're not meant for them to, to get your identity from them. Have you ever heard of the term PK? How many of you have ever heard of PK? For all of you who raise your hand, yell it out. What does it mean? Pastor's kid. pastor's kid. Is it a positive term or a negative term? It's a derogatory term. It means that there's a pastor's kid and he's really or she's really messed up. Do you know why that term is coined? Because it's real. Do you know how it got there? Because a pastor got his identity from how his kids behaved at church. And he had talks at home. Don't you misrepresent, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you misrepresent me at church. Don't you make me look bad. What are you doing? That is the quickest way to destroy a child. You're going to put your identity on that child? I am happy to say I had four kids, and I let them be kids. And I never treated them different on how they acted at church or how they acted at 7-Eleven. It was all the same. You know why? Because I don't act any different at church than I do at 7-Eleven or in the store or anywhere else. It's one of our values as a family that, hey, we're the same people everywhere we go. And I didn't put my identity on them. And I didn't care if they messed up in church. They're kids, right? And so may we be wise. A a parent's job is to love and to disciple and to build an adult, not to edify yourself and get your worth from your kid. Uh, uh, How many times have we heard this? Well, I want my children to like me, and I want to be good friends. I want my kids, I, wanna, I want my daughter to be my BFF. Let me tell you something. Your daughter will have a kajillion BFFs before she's in ninth grade. She doesn't need a BFF. You know what she needs? A mom and a dad. Who love her enough to tell her hard things, to build her up, to edify her, and to disciple her in the truth that your value and your worth does not come from what you look like. Your devalue and your worth. Anyone can be beautiful on the outside just with makeup. Man, but it takes something special to have godly attributes in your life. And that is real beauty. That is real beauty. Uh, that's what happens. And I promise you, when you parent to build and disciple your children, they will honor and respect you and you will have amazing friendships with them in due time after they quit getting mad at you and they actually grow up, you will have amazing relationships with your children. This is just God's ways. We have a responsibility to raise kids who take responsibility for their own actions who take self-control seriously, who realize that you don't just give in to all your sexual desires, no, you control them. You don't just give in to all your emotions, no, you control them. Uh, you are a child of God. You are not an animal. And we need to raise kids who are responsible, man. They know how to wake up early. They know how to make their bed. They know how to do their chores. And they know how to honor authority. They know how to respect authority. They know that there is absolute truth. Do you know, in addition to uh, this world that is trying to confuse our kids on sexuality, there's another thing that they're, they're trying to confuse our kids on? Three things. Absolute truth. The atomic family, the nuclear family, right? Uh, not atomic, the nuclear family. <laughs> I've had an atomic family at times, but i meant a nuclear family. Absolute truth, the nuclear family, and sexual immorality. Three things that are being just brainwashed over your kids in this social constructionism that's happening. Uh, absolute truth. What is that? There are things that are black and white. There are, there are just empirical truths that cannot be changed right? And we don't stand for those, man. Stand for those. Teach your kids these things. And so may we walk in this. May we walk in our our role. May we help them to to just respect authority. Hey, uh, I told my kids this. I I, I had it written down, some things that I wanted my kids to remember forever. Uh, One was this. There is absolute truth. Another one was this. Respect authority. Your teacher has the right to be wrong. And even if your teacher is wrong, you still have to do what? Respect them. Respect authority. You want, a, you want life to go well for a child? Teach them to respect authority. If they don't respect your authority, do you think they'll expect God's respect God's authority? Not a chance. Um I could go on and on on parenting, and maybe we should do a parenting talk sometime. Uh, but man, may we raise our kids. May we raise kids who uphold humility and, and, and value brokenness and the grace and mercy that flows freely from Jesus Christ, because we're going to make a lot of mistakes, and they're going to need to know that when you make a mistake, God is still with you. God still loves you, and, and so do I. And no matter what you do, uh, I'm going to be with you and help you in this, and so is God. And, and may we value brokenness and humility. And I want you to know at the Mission Church, we are here to help help you on your most important ministry of parenting your children, of discipling your children. And we help you in two specific ways. We help you with solid Bible teaching each and every Sunday uh, that a lot of thought and prayer goes into to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry of doing your most important ministry, discipling your children. And we have uh, The second way we help you is not only do we disciple you through mission groups and men's ministry and women's ministry and and Sunday services, but we also come alongside you and help you disciple your children in our Sunday school ministries and in our Awana ministry and in our youth groups and in our camps and all the things that we do, the campus clubs, we're coming alongside you in this work. And so we're with you all the way in this most important ministry. I've spent too much time on this, but uh, let me move us on. Uh, These next six verses uh, are going to give us a powerful insight into the battle that rages within us. This battle that rages between our flesh life and our spirit life. Do you know that you are a spirit living in a body? You are not this body. That is where the world gets it all wrong, right? They think that this body is everything. This body is nothing. You are a, not it's not nothing, but it's not what's important. You are a spirit and you are living in this body. And the Bible says that this spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. The flesh just wants immediate gratification. Your spirit wants to build you into something significant. God wants to lead you in that. And here we're going to see this battle raging between the flesh and the spirit. God knew what he was doing when he showed us Jacob and Esau. He is showing this nation that he is going to birth. From the beginning, you need to know this battle is real. That's why he had her have twins. And he wanted to show the nation that the... Older will serve the younger, or in other words, your flesh life that starts first needs to decrease, and your spirit life, which comes second when you're born again, needs to increase. The older will serve the younger. The flesh life will serve the spirit life, not vice versa. And we have to die to that flesh life. And so God went through great lengths to show us these things. Uh, Let's take a look at these verses. We're going to pick it up in verse 29, right where we left off. Uh, Now, Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. Uh, The word in in some translations is famished. He's been on a few-day hunting trip, and he's famished. And Jacob's there cooking, man, and he walks in, and it smells good. He's got this, he's a great cook, and, and uh, Jacob has uh, really uh, got the, he's got you know, all kinds of good food out. Verse 30, and Esau said to Jacob, oh, please feed me with some of that red stew, for I am weary, or in other words, I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Uh, there's something we lose here in English. Uh, in Hebrew, there was a bit of wordplay here. Uh, the word, uh, the word red, that red stew, the word red in Hebrew is Adom, Adom, and it means red. And so they called him Edom, and and in Hebrew it said Edom. So Adom and Edom, almost identical, right? Uh, they call his name now Edom, which means red. And so now he's red and hairy. That's who we're dealing with here. And, uh, Please feed me with some of that red stew. And so they called his name Edom after this, after this day. Verse 31. But Jacob said to me, read me these words out loud. Uh, Jacob said what? Sell me your birthright as of this day. Oh, sell me your birthright as of this day. What do we learn from this? This was premeditated. This isn't just random. Jacob knew. He had this thought out. His brother comes home starving to death, and he just happens to have the house smelling good, bread baked, stew ready, Thanksgiving dinner. It's all here. And he says, oh, you want some food? You hungry? Sell me your birthright, and I'll give you food. Does that sound very nice? No, it sounds like a cheater, like a swindler, like a heel catcher that he is. Interesting. Premeditated, shrewd, crafty. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. What is this birthright to me? I don't give a rip. Uh, Verse 33, then Jacob said, okay, then swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. What's that? Esau said, yeah, birthright? I don't need it. I'm starving. Inheritance? That's a long way away. I don't care about any of that. You can have my pink unicorns and you can have my inheritance. Uh, all that is just nothing to me. I'm hungry. Right? Verse 34. 34. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And he ate and he drank and he arose and he went his way. Let me say it again. And he ate and he drank and he arose and he went his way. And he ate and he drank and he arose and he went his way. Guess what the entire world is doing right now? And they eat and they drink. And they arise and they go away. And they never ponder, they never consider this birthright that is upon him, upon them. These promises of God that could be theirs. They eat, they drink, they arise, they go their way. Wow, what an indictment. Thus Esau, Esau despised his birthright. I want you to know something. This birthright represents something significant. Do you know what it represents? It represents the Abrahamic covenant. Or in other words, it represents all the promises of God. That's what this birthright represents. The core of this story is the birthright. This covenant that God made with Abraham that is going to be passed on. And one of the boys desires it, and one of the boys could care less. Esau had little regard for this birthright. It was pie in the sky to him. God's promises, hum, shum, shmum, Heaven, hum, shmum. The Messiah, hum, shmum. A great nation, hum, shmum. I'm hungry. And here we see that Esau is a picture of the man living according to the desires of his flesh. Which, can I tell you something? They are very strong. Not just for Esau, but for who? For you, for me, for all of us. What are some of those desires of the flesh? Let me hear you. What are they? Food, what else? Drink, what else? Money, what else? Pleasure, Pleasure. what else? Beauty, Beauty, to impress others, to dazzle others, to be seen as great in the eyes of others, to be elevating myself in the eyes of others. Oh, these are the desires of the flesh. What else? Power. Power, pride, pride. Sex, ego, greed, selfishness, on and on we could go. And can I tell you something? They are insatiable. Go eat breakfast. And what will you do again in a couple hours? You'll want more. Go boast and brag. And so everybody goes, wow, you're amazing. And guess what you will want again? Go have everybody tell you how pretty you are. And guess what? You well, That was at 11 o'clock. It's now 2 o'clock. Nobody's looked at me. <laughs> I think I better put on something and go outside. I better post something. You are insatiable. Your flesh is ins- ins- insatiable. All of ours is. This is a picture of the flesh. I want you to know you were created by God. To be led by God. Not to be led. By your fleshly appetites. Your appetites were created to serve you, not to control you. Your emotions were created to serve you, not control you. And the majority of America is controlled by their bodily appetites and their emotions. Can I tell you where that leads you? Right into a really messed up and broken life. Full of addiction, full of vice... Full of insecurity and full of fruitless living. Uh, You are meant to be led by God, not by your emotion, not by your bodily appetites, which is why the Bible says that we have to do some things. We have to exercise learning how to die to our flesh and live according to the spirit. What is the purpose of fasting? It's not so God will hear your prayers. It's not so you can earn enough favor with God. Oh, wow, they're really suffering. All I'm going to listen to is prayer now. No, no, no. God hears every prayer you offer. You don't have to do hard things to make him hear your prayer. That's ridiculous. What is the purpose of fasting? Not to earn God's favor, to learn how to deny my flesh so that I'm not controlled by my flesh so that I actually might be led by God's spirit instead of my carnal appetites. If I said, hey, I want to go compete in a marathon, what do I have to do first? Well, I've got to start training. If I said, hey, I'm gonna," there's a weightlifting competition in Del Mar, I'm entering. It's on Friday. What are you going to tell me? Good, <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, wet rat. You're going to have a hard time competing in that. You got to train now I could train for that race or that way. It would take years. And now God has called you to walk a walk of faith. Guess what it takes? Training. God has called you to be a builder of his kingdom. Guess what it takes? Training. And I have to learn how to deny my fleshly desires. Guess what Esau was controlled by? His fleshly desires. This is the picture that God is setting for us. This is how a great godly nation will be built. You have to understand the the principles of the kingdom. Uh, uh, The Bible tells us uh, we were created to be led by God. But if we are not led by God, the Bible tells us that apart from Jesus, man will be dominated by his carnal desires. That's Romans 8. Guess what you're seeing in the world? A world dominated by what? Their carnal desires. How many of you saw the fiasco of Balenciaga this week? We all saw it. It was beyond horrific. And you say, How in the world does that happen? Let me tell you, you're controlled over a long period of time by your carnal desires that grow increasingly corrupt each and every day if you don't die to them. This is what it means to walk with God. We die to those things. We're led by a spirit. We're not controlled by our bodily appetites. We're led by his spirit. Uh, Now, here's the problem. The natural man, the physical man, he cannot see the worth of God's promises. Esau goes, my birthright. (laughs) What is that? That's so far down the road. I don't care about any of that. I want food. I want sex. I want money. I want whatever. And we can only we only care about what's right in front of us. Why in the world would anybody make Jesus the lord of their life? Why in the world would anybody obey Jesus as lord? Why would anybody go to church on Sunday? I mean, I only get 2 days off on Sunday, man. I want to Why would I go to church? Why would anyone wait to have sex until they got married? Are you kidding me? Not a chance. Why would anyone give God uh, tithes and offerings of their money? Are you kidding me? You mean to tell me you want my Sundays, you want my sex life, and you want my money? Not a chance. Why? Because the world cannot see the worth of God's promises. Putting God first in my finances is not for God. That's so I don't love what? Which God says is the root of all evil. And if you love money, it'll destroy your life. And if you don't put God first in your finances, it's because you love money and it's already destroying your life. God says, wait until marriage because I got a really good plan for you, man. And if you introduce sex into a relationship too soon, uh, you'll build your relationship on sex and it's powerful. It'll carry a relationship for a few years, but you won't know each other well enough to carry it long term. And so let's keep that off the table until you really get to all God's ways are wise, but the natural man can't see the worth of God's promises. The Bible says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are saved, it is the power of God. And I tell you what, the longer I walk with him, the more in awe I am of him. His ways are so profound. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And he dumps bucket loads of wisdom into those who simply will seek him and walk in his ways. Just awesome. Uh, Those who believe... Make God's promise their priority. What did Jacob do? He made God's promises his priority. He premeditated a plan of how I could get God's promises. I want to have God's promises in my life. He valued them, he pursued them. Now, did he do it the right way? Not at all. We're going to learn this was really messed up. But what did he value? He valued God's promises. And God did something interesting. Uh, Can I tell you something? Of the two men, Esau was a way better man naturally than Jacob was. Esau was more moral, had more character, was a better human than Jacob was. But Esau had no value for the promises of God. And Jacob valued the promises of God. And you know what God did? God said, I'll take that deceiver. I'll take that heel catcher. I'll take that cheater. And I will make him into something because he values my promises. We don't come to God because we're good. We don't come to God because we're sexually moral. We come to God because we're totally messed up and we're in awe that he would still love us and choose us and these promises could be ours and that he would offer us this inheritance. And we go, oh my gosh, Lord, if you love me like that, I want to walk in your ways. I want to learn your ways. And do you know what God does? He takes a guy like Jacob, like Cheater, like Heelcatcher, like Swindler, And he builds him into something substantial. Jacob becomes a patriarch of the faith, a man of God, and God changes his name and his nature from Jacob, which is cheater, to what? Israel. Israel, And Israel means governed by God. Wow. What a legacy. What a legacy. And I am that Jacob, the one who is a cheater, swindler, conniver, trickster, do anything to take care of number one, and God changed me and transformed me and is changing me and transforming me to be a man governed by God. And there is nothing special about me. This is his work. He is the good shepherd. This is what he does. And as we partake communion... God has shown us the way that we can be right with God. It's not by our our performance. It's not by our good deeds. It's by our believing that he has an inheritance for us. It's by believing that he has incredible promises for us. It's by believing the work that he did for us on the cross. This and that way alone is the only way we can come to him and we can be transformed. And if we don't come to him, we will be twice the son of hell by trying to do good than we ever were. Uh, Our flesh will just control us. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.